Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric, and today we're reading short and deep. Professor Kate by Margaret St. Clair. This is first published in Weird Tales, January 1951, and um, I uh, I kind of count myself lucky in that I had a clue as to what was going on in this story uh, because I had read another story that's kind of similar to it by Anthony Boucher called They Bite, which uh, introduced me to the Bloody Benders, um, who I... I don't know how people ever learn these things. So for anybody who is not familiar with the Bloody Benders, they're a thing, and uh, or they were a thing. And uh, it was probably like a, a giant sensation in the press uh, in the 19th century uh, Kansas, I believe is where they were. And uh, it's basically supposedly a family of serial killers. Um, and we know quite a bit about them, kind of, and this story deals with that. Uh, how did you find out about the Bloody Benders, Eric? I was listening to you just now, Jesse. Oh, no. <laughs> really? I, I, I found the story, um, I thought the story was, in many ways, quite easy to understand. Hmm. And what was going to happen, I kind of knew from early on. Um, like romances. This is a story that seemed to me, um, it's not a matter of what's going to happen, but how it's going to happen. And indeed, that turned out to be the case for me. It never occurred to me the Benders were a real, mm. were a real family. Interesting. But, I, but the story led me with loads of questions about the family. Mm-hmm. And so when, if we're going to read the story, uh, we should do that. And then when we're done, I hope that, um, you'll help me know whether or not the questions that the story raised for me about the fictional benders actually has something to do with the factual benders. Sure. So let's go on a bender together, my friend. (laughs) Not not too bloody, please. Okay. Professor Kate. The boy that directed us on this road, Pa, Kate said, leaning forward to speak to the man in the front seat. Do you think he was real? John Bender Sr. turned and regarded her. What do you mean by that, Cato? He asked sternly. He had to raise his voice to be heard over the rumble of the wagon wheels. Kate's fingers moved nervously over the bosom of her shirtwaist. Why, that that he might have been one of them we left in the orchard, back on the farm. This road ain't like a road that goes anywhere. Her father's lean face grew dark with anger. Stop that talk, Cato. Stop your mouth. Yeah, stop it, daughter, Mrs. Bender said. Her blue eyes were hard and her large white face. It's nonsense, unzin. How could it be one of them? Didn't we bind them to stay before we left? Kate sighed and sank back in her seat. Her brother John, who was sitting beside her, he was only her half-brother, she was wont to say with a touch of defiance, slipped his arm around her waist. You're tired, Kate, he said. It ain't them dead ones I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of a posse coming after us. Oh, do you think there'll be one? Kate answered vaguely. Once more, her hands were moving on her dress. Dead sure. 
Colonel York's suspicioned us about his brother. They traced him as far as our farm. He didn't come back for a seance, though, Kate replied. No, but we knew he'd be back later, for sure, with more men. Things was getting hot. That's why we left. Kate laughed suddenly, a bold, ringing laugh. Why we left? Didn't we look out the bedroom window that morning and see the ground heaving below in the orchard? Didn't you hear her little voice crying, Mama, Mama, the way she did when we buried her? Why we left? I didn't hear or see nothing, Kate. I only said that to to agree with you. Once more, Kate laughed. You didn't hear anything. Why, you turned as white as a sheet, as a ghost, her brother corrected after a moment had passed. Make it a ghost while you're doing it. They jounced on. Bender hunched over the reins, clucked now and then at the team. Once John said out of a long silence, this here ain't much of a road for a fact. Kate looked at him sideways without saying anything. The sun began to sink. The air, which had been warm with spring earlier in the day, grew colder. A light breeze ruffled the long grass of the prairie. Kate, shivering, let John embrace her without resistance. Old man Bender turned round to face them. Hope we find those houses soon, he said uneasily. That boy said we'd get to them before night. Kate raised her head from John's shoulder and looked him full in the eyes. His gaze wavered. He coughed and turned back to the team. They stopped at last. It's too dark to drive more, old man Bender said, his voice loud in the sudden silence. We got to sleep here. He looked around the vacant flatness of the prairie, frowning, and then began to unharness the team. John jumped from the wagon and then turned to help Kate. She was stiff from the long sitting. She almost fell into his arms. Mrs. Bender, meantime, was getting sacks and crocks of provisions out from under the front seat. Have an apple, son, she said, holding out one to the young man. No, I can't say as I care for the fruit from them trees. Mrs. Bender began to munch the apple herself. Kate had taken advantage of the distraction to withdraw from John's embrace and wander off. He looked after her, his forehead wrinkled. Then he began to help his mother with the preparations for the evening meal. Suddenly, Kate screamed. It was a high sound, not very loud. John dropped the bread he was holding and ran toward her. He found her sitting on her heels, her black bombazine skirt drawn tightly around her haunches. She was holding a long thigh bone in one hand. It scared me when I first saw it, she said, looking up at him brightly. The skull, I mean, and look over there in the grass. There's another one. John followed her gesture. He kicked the grass apart. After a short time, he found the second skeleton gleaming whitely even in the dim light. He stooped over, hunting, and came up at last with something in his hand. It was an Indian, he announced to Kate. This here's what killed him, an arrow. He showed it to her. She seemed to lose interest. Oh, an Indian. Must have been a long time ago. She cocked her head and listened intently. John, I hear voices. Not like them on the farm, though. Maybe it's the Indians. Listen. She held up a hand, warning him. There was the rustle of the grass, the plaintive note of the morning dove. I don't hear nothing, he said. He pulled at his mustache. You wouldn't fess up to it if you did, she said. She giggled. I want to have a seance, John. Remember how they called me Professor Kate in the Parsons paper that time I lectured there on spiritualism? She rose to her feet and faced him. Maybe a seance would quiet the voices on the farm it used to. Professor Kate wants to have a seance. He slapped her.
His hand left a red mark on her face, but she made no sign of having felt it. Stop it, Kate. You want to drive us all crazy? Why stir them up? And anyhow, it ain't nothing. We'll sleep in the wagon tonight and tomorrow start early. It's only two Indians. Ain't you used to dead people? He took her by the hand and led her back to the wagon. Sighing, she stumbled after him. Do you think we'll get to Veneta tomorrow, John? He said, I'm so tired of writing. Father said we could leave the wagon and take the train once we got to the Indian Territory. Sure thing, you bet, he answered without looking at her. Get up early, ride all day, it ain't far. John woke early while it was still dark. He found water and washed and a cup full of it. After a moment, he heard Kate getting down from the wagon. She came up to him, yawning and shivering. He poured water for her and she scrubbed her face with a handkerchief. She straightened her hair with her hands. How did you sleep, John? She asked, putting her head on one side. Did you rest well? Nah, why ask? I had dreams. Like my dreams, I guess. This ain't a good place. Listen, Pa and Ma are getting up. They breakfasted on slabs of bread and cold pork. Old man Bender harnessed up the team and turned the wagon around. We make a fine quick start, he said. The stars ain't set yet. Before sunup, we be back on the right road. The pursuers rose nearly as early as the benders did. The benders were moved by fear, the posse, by hate. <clears throat> as Captain Sanders swung into the saddle, he said to the lieutenant, today or tomorrow, sure, we're getting close. The lieutenant, he, like Sanders, had gained his rank in the Grand Army of the Republic less than 10 years before, said flatly, we're not going to take them back to the county for trial. No, you don't try rattlers. We found 11 bodies in the orchard, but what I remember most is the body of the little girl. She must have been still alive when they buried her. The sun rose. The day wore on. At noon, the benders stopped at a farmhouse for water and learned that they were on the right road. They might be able to make Veneta by dark. Kate, sighing with relief, did not resist when John drew her down under the wagon seat. Afterward, they chatted idly over plans, what they should do with the money they had taken from the travelers who had stopped at the Bender farmhouse. John wanted to start a restaurant in Denison. Kate wanted to keep on with the seances and the lecturing. She spoke of the good luck she had curing deafness and epileptic fits. Or the four of them might buy another farm. Why not? They had plenty of rhino, John said. As the sun began to wester, Kate dozed. She leaned against John, her body swaying to the steady jogging. Once she said petulantly, Venita sure is a long way off. At sundown, the posse reached a crossroads. Sanders dismounted to check the wagon tracks. As he grasped the pommel again, he was frowning. They've turned, he told the men with him, gesturing to the right. They're headed back. Why? asked the lieutenant after a moment. Sanders shrugged devil knows maybe trying to throw us off the track it was quite dark when the wagon stopped Venita still unreached kate was drunk with sleepiness john roused her and helped her out Venita, she asked as she reached the ground no kate not yet first thing tomorrow i guess she stood looking around her the moon had not risen it was difficult to see anything Suddenly, she gathered up her skirts and ran like a wild thing. After a moment, they heard her screaming, John, John, we've come back. This is the same place. 
When he got up to her, she pointed at the skeleton. She picked up the arrow and handed it to him. They've brought us back to the same place. He let the point fall from her fingers. What do you mean? Who has? The Indians. They wouldn't let us get away. They brought us back. The dead. Don't you see, John? The dead stick together. He stared at her in the darkness. Then he grasped her by the shoulders and began to pull her after him with desperate energy. Hurry, hurry, the wagon, we've got to get away. But as they neared the wagon, they heard a thunder and a plunging, and then old man Bender's voice crying despairingly, Whoa, whoa, damn you, come back. The team's run off, Kate said simply. I knew they wouldn't let us get away. He began to wrench at the wagon's sides, tearing the planking. We'll make a fire, a big fire. They can't get past it, and Pa will get out the guns. That's right, Kate said, cheering, and we'll stay awake, all of us. Maybe if there were noises on the other side of the wagon as the night got colder. Once old man Bender said, what's that whooping? And Kate laughed. The fire, day, the fire died down and was replenished with the wagon seats. Kate yawned, and then John and the others. He said, We've got to stay awake. About two in the morning, Professor Kate realized abruptly that the others were sleeping. She ran from one to the other, shaking them, screaming their names. They wouldn't wake. Morning came. John said, guess we must have gone to sleep, huh, Kate? I guess so. I remember dreaming. I'm awful tired. John Bender yawned. Well, anyway, we're all right. We were silly to worry. And look, the team's come back. Old man Bender was silently harnessing the horses. When he was done, they climbed in the wagon. The front seat was still intact, but John and his sister had to sit on the floor. After they had driven for about a mile, Kate said, Where are we going, Pa? To, uh, I, I can't call the name to mind, daughter. Ben Benicia, she answered, stumbling over the syllables. I wish we'd hurry up and get there. Stop it, Kate, John said. We will. In the afternoon, Kate said, I wish we'd pass some houses. Later, when it was almost sunset, she turned to her brother. Do you know what's going to happen, John? She asked. What? He replied. It was the first word he had spoken to her since early morning. It's going to get dark, and then we'll stop, and we'll be back by the Indians, back by the ashes of our fire, back where we spent last night. She began to cry. No, you're crazy. We must be almost to Venita. Venita? We'll never get there. We'll just keep driving, driving, driving. Something's going wrong with time. Be quiet, damn you. I hear horses, voices. He laid his hand over her mouth. Old man Bender had stopped the wagon. Something ahead, he said softly. You two go look. They stole forward, tiptoeing. I can't see good, Kate whispered. Hush. It's men with horses. They're bending over something, but I can't see what they're doing. There's a mist. Kate had turned away. Let's go back to the wagon, she whispered. Why? I want to know what they're doing. Oh, I know already. Then tell me. You know without telling what they're bending over. Is, is us, is our bodies. No, no, I won't have it. She was wringing her hands and wailing. Oh, but it is. Last night, last night, the Indians didn't let us get away. 
said Professor Kate. Wow. So uh, I I twigged pretty early in my first read of this. Um, uh, Oh, this is the historical benders. Um, So I'm interested in in seeing, like, you seem to think that the story works completely on its own, and I I agree that she provides uh, enough background and it's well-written enough that you can tell what is going on with the story. Um, but I think there's some meta elements that uh, are why she felt she had to deal with this story. Like, uh, you, you're a human being, Eric, like me. Um, when you uh, uh, invite me over to your house, I expect uh, you won't hit me over the head, take my money, and bury me in your backyard. Um, so I do notice, however, you stay in Vancouver. <laughs> not giving me that chance, Jesse. <laughs> well, that's true. So, like I was saying before the podcast starts, uh, <laughs> I have a, uh, a different relationship with trust. But um, <laughs> maybe it's because I knew about the benders. I think as a human being, dealing with certain facts about history, it's pretty tough. Like, you have to wrap your head around it somehow. I feel like... Uh, Margaret Sinclair is doing that with this story. Like, uh, and I, I can imagine you now thinking about, you know, this, like this character. I, I didn't recognize the story from the title. Professor Kate didn't come to mind at all that it was about the benders, but that was what the papers called the daughter. It was a huge sensation, right? That they found uh, everything that happens in this story, uh, a, somebody comes sniffing around from officialdom saying, what, what's going on with all these missing travelers not showing up at their destination? Um, and so he goes away and comes back with, with the cops, and the family has fled, right? And they disappear into history. Um, I made a note. Um, like th- These are the f- sort of the quasi-facts as we know them, right? They disappear into history at, and... Um, I made my note is they pass into history or out of it. Um, and that's how she deals with the story. Like, um, it's almost like they're being punished. Uh, they're in a, a time loop. They're in hell. They're in purgatory. And then this relationship with the, uh, the Indians and the Indian skulls and the Indian, the dead Indians. I think she's making it a much bigger story than just, you know, some white people killing some white people. Some immigrants, uh, some recent immigrants, that is the Ma and Pa Bender, and the two children, possibly half-siblings, um, who don't have these German accents, right, um, being hunted by uh, the Grand Army of the Republic, a civil war. There's tons of, like, stuff she's bringing to the the table of this story and yet it's it's very brief and the relationship between the the brother and the sister it's creepy as hell right mm-hmm. everything about this story is creepy and then adding the fact that this is uh based on a, a real incident where multiple people died 11 or more people including a baby that you know they talk about in here um this is a super creepy story. 
So I feel like it's her way as a very intellectual and thoughtful person of sort of getting a hold of it and saying, you know, how are we going to deal with this? Because otherwise the benders are still out there, you know? Yeah. I, I, (laughs) let me, let me tell you how I understood the story and, uh, and, and see if you f- feel a difference, if it yeah. matters um, that this was that this was that there was a real Bender family. Um, I saw very early on from the very first word of uh, mention of Kate uh, moving her hands over her bodice that there was a theme of incest mm. running through this. Um, I, I I saw that. Uh, these people were uh, running from a crime. Uh, I assumed, since it was an orchard on the farm, Mm -hmm. that there had been many killings. So I saw these people as serial killers whose crimes amounted to um, betraying hospitality, uh, amounted to incest, and... um, it seemed as if they may also have been charlatans, except that Professor Kate spoke as if she actually believed these things, mm-hmm. as if she actually were in contact with the dead. And the fact that she believed them becomes instantiated by the being drawn always back. They've been brought into a zone of always having to feel terror, never being able to get away from the the space of their crimes. Uh, I think that St. Clair handles this gorgeously when Kate wakes up, has a dream, can't wake up anybody else, and then wakes up and they are awake. And it turns out that they're awake again in this purgatory mm-hmm. in this, or, or in this, uh, this hell in which they always have to suffer. I, I think that the Indians are there in order to let us understand that the benders, uh, the fictional benders, um, the benders represent um, immigrants. Mm-hmm. They come from somewhere else. Then they try, they have children who are Americans, um, native born Americans, but they are still immoral. They are still rapists. They mm. are still murderers. And it is not, in fact, the, the white men who succeed in killing them. It is the Indians. The very land itself cries out for revenge. Um, The Grand Army of the Republic, in fact, is not the Union Army. The Grand Army of the Republic was a veterans organization composed of veterans of the Union Army, the Union Navy, and the Union um, Merchant Marine. Um, And so that little phrase that Sanders and the lieutenant had gotten their rank in the Grand Army of the Republic. You know, following after that line, you don't kill rattlers. You know, mm. We're not bringing them back to the county for trial. What, it, what I'm getting a picture of here is that the Americans, no matter how noble they think their cause is, the Grand Army of the Republic, mm-hmm. the Americans are bloody, immoral, sinful from the very beginning. And while one of the children does not want to eat 
from the fruit of that tree. Right. In fact, the mother is happy to. And whether she is like the witch in um, Snow White or she is like Satan in the Garden of Eden, this is a story about how the Europeans have come to this country, to this land, and now they will have to stay here and suffer in it forever because they have been fundamentally evil. Mm. Um, that's how I read the story. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not quite sure what difference it would make to me to know that there really were benders who, as you so eloquently put it, drove off out of history. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, another thing uh, when you were talking there reminded me of is um, uh, my friend Evan Lampy. He uh, he was talking about the very first novel of of the United States, the first American novel, uh, which we read uh, for the other podcast. Um, it's called Wheeland or the Transformation, an American tale, and it's it's uh, a sort of a family gothic. But again, uh, that story was based on a real life incident where a family sort of went crazy and and killed other people, and the book works on its own, just as this story I think clearly works on its own, but. I feel like that's the that's the power of fiction is that it's actually telling us true things even when it's it totally lies if the fiction is good if the fiction is good it tells us something true so I I think it's really interesting that the story is called Professor Kate it's not really about the benders it's about her she is just one of them and she's the one that Margaret St. Clair picked out you know as a as a kind of witchy woman herself, um, she p- picks out the you know uh, an, a disempowered female, the least powerful member of the family, right? Not the older brother who's uh, you know pawing at the younger sister, not the parents who are clearly evil, but this kid who wants to, or at least in the sympathy that that I think we're supposed to be having for her who wants to somehow make peace with the dead. It It's a fantasy, certainly, right? We don't think that <laughs> seances are real, you and I, Eric. But it is a, it was a real phenomena because there's real pain involved with death. And so when we see this fictional Professor Kate, she can sort of see what the others are refusing to see. She doesn't want to eat of that poisoned apple. But the world is cruel to put her into this family. Hmm. Ah. So you, you find yourself sympathetic to her. I do. I, 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 all, of the, all of the characters are unsympathetic, but she's the one who is trying to make peace with with the dead. She's she was there while the family killed 11 people. But she doesn't I have the feeling that she participated. Oh, in I do too. 
I do too. Certainly willing to to, to bilk the public, and she's going to take the money, right? But I was I was thinking about that. Like I don't know that that incest theme is in the reality, but what I do know is that keep it in the family is a pretty awful term. But when you're doing crime, right, turning against your family is a kind of another kind of crime, right? So your family is uh, some member of your family is a murderer. Um, betraying them to the police feels like a crime too, even though we would think, you know, it's the right thing to do, not to have murderers running around uh, hiding their murders from other people. So I I feel like she has sympathy, but she's deluded. And I, I, I don't I don't know how old this character is supposed to be, but I don't think she's uh, in her mid-30s, you know? <laughs> I think she's relatively young. I, I feel like she's younger than the brother. Um and I just feel like there's a a uh, what else is she what else has she got she she took that appellation from the papers Professor Kate which was not a truth she was she was just a practitioner of a swindle but she seems to believe it in this in this character and so we're, we're kind of mixing up the reality you can't have sympathy for for the murderers but. How did they end up in that situation? And how particular did this child? She didn't choose to have serial killer parents unless, you know, it's not present in the story. So I do feel like St. Clair is giving us a lot of sympathy for this girl who is in hell with her family or in uh, some sort of endless purgatory. I find it a bit more uh, ambiguous. Um, I do. Th- I, I see your point about the sympathy, um, and being caught in a uh, in a criminal family gives you a certain sense of straitjacket, you know, constrained. I mean, you you can't betray them. You can't get away from them. You know, you're tainted by them. There's no it, getting they're out. They're your blood. Exactly. And yet, on the other hand, you do participate with them. And and you do these things. I mean, she likes being Professor Kate. She yeah. likes, you know, have, being the, the the entry to the dead. And I really, I think that for me, the key is the incest. Yep. When we are told that she says defiantly that they're only half siblings. Mm. Um, whether it's think, true or not. Right. Whether it's true or not. Mm-hmm. I think that the fact that she allows him to touch her. But then she, in fact, sleeps with her head on his shoulder. Yep. Um, I think that she both wants the sexuality, uh, that, that line about sitting with her on her haunches, that yep. she's made animalistic at points. She wants the sexuality and she wants to keep it within the family, as you say. And yet she knows that this is wrong and she doesn't want it. Mm-hmm. And so I feel sympathy for her being trapped, but I also reject what she is doing and being as a trapped person. Yeah. Because I don't think she's, I don't think the family gets all of this done without each of the members contributing to it. Um, and so, uh, professor Kate, I think is the, the central person for us to look at because, uh, the story is constructed so that the issue of female power is at the center. Yeah. 
Um, she is the one who understands what it means to have children. She is probably the one who buried the baby alive. Mm. She is the one who understands that if I eat from the apple, there will be sexuality, but she still sleeps with John. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think the story is one about female power. And as you said, when we were beginning, uh, St. Clair herself is rather witchy. She mm -hmm. and her husband were members mm -hmm. of a coven, um, and they never had children. Um, so this is not only a story enriched by historical knowledge, it's also enriched by biographical knowledge. But I think one of the great things about Sinclair is that even in a story that looks at first like a comparatively predictable ghost story, mm -hmm. she makes sure that in one realm or another, there's always more to say. Nice. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.